0: And I want to look today at a family that is silent in the Bible, but actually they were very active. It's just it's not easy to see and you need to realize that some of the verses you may read or hear are actually referring to a family. And that family are very interesting. So I want to look at the whole issue about families today, because most of us come from a family. And I pray, Lord, that your Holy Spirit would move and that you would have your way as we listen to your word and that it would touch our souls. In Jesus' mighty name, amen. Amen. In order to get us into the mode of thinking about families, just before we look at the Bible, I want to just throw up what's known as a very rough tool that a lot of family counselors use to help people understand the different roles that we can play in a family. It's particularly true if there's a larger family, but even in small families, we can all have a role like this so as we look at it it's not the bible it's just a rough rule of thumb to help us get into this type of thinking so when i grow up you may think i'm a very talkative person i can be but when i grew up with my family with my brother and sister still when i meet them today with my cousins who are like brothers to me um and i would have had lunch with one of my cousins just two weeks ago so when, when I meet with them, I'm a different person. I'm not a hypocrite. I don't, I'm not two-faced. It's just my role growing up was to listen. And when I'm with my family, my original family, I do very little talking. I tend to listen and just ask the occasional question. I don't know why, that's just the way it's always been. When I'm with Denise and my kids and my grandkids, there's another dynamic. So we can all bring something from our original family with us and then I can bring what I learned from my original family and I bring a lot of that kind of social skill as a pastor when I'm meeting with someone it's very important not to talk for a lot of time and just listen and ask the occasional question. So that's my experience but as we look at these five main types and there are variations maybe you can picture which one you are or were or which one your children fit into it's a rough thing but here we go first one is the hero often known as the good kid they tend to be responsible in the family dependable but when they grow up because they're so task focused they can become workaholics. So if you have someone in your house, or maybe you were this child, you were the sensible one, and your parents always relied on you. A lot of the time it can be an older kid, but not necessarily. That's one type of child or um, person. Second one is the scapegoat, sometimes known as the black sheep. People can call this person the problem child, the troublemaker. But when this person grows up, they're the ones, I I think it's almost prophetic, they're the ones who call out hypocrisy. They're the ones who are the whistleblowers. They're the ones who say, something is really wrong here. You see, no matter who we are or how messed up we are, God can change us and use us for his glory. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. And so even someone who was known as the problem child can be really used by God. But this is another role in the family. You know, a parent can fall into one of these roles as well. Number three, the lost child. This is the person who tends to be invisible in the dynamic, quiet. Their instinct is to withdraw. They don't want the trouble, so they withdraw. But when they grow up, they tend, even as a child, to be a great team player, really can support the team. But if you're the withdrawing type, maybe you were the quiet child growing up and you still have some of that dynamic with you. Fourth role is the comedian, often known as the funny kid. This is the entertainer in the family and it's very important to realize they will use humor to diffuse attention and as they grow up they can really deny, they can go into denial it's like I don't have, don't face up with the problem let's just joke about it. I think this sums up the Irish nation doesn't it? (laughs) As Irish people we kind of won't talk about the problem, we'll just beat about the bush and it, here we can have a bit of crack about it and never face up to it. If, you wanna, if you're from another country and you want to understand the Irish, there we are. That's us there. <laughs> um, it's like we want the crack, C-R-A-I-C, to cover over the crack. C-R-A-C-K. Anyway, a lot of families have want someone who fills this role. It could be a mum or a dad as well. Finally, the peacemaker also known as the rescuer. This person is other focused. They will try and solve the problem, but they can, as they get older, become codependent on others in the family. As I said, this is just a rough thing. It's not the Bible, so you don't have to go away and take it as absolutely true. But I think we're foolish not to understand the intelligence from many, many decades of people who work with families to know that we all do fall into a role in our families and we bring a lot of that with us. The good and sometimes the baggage as well. I'm gonna look at Acts 25 and 26 and to really get the full benefit of what I'm talking about today, you need to read it at home. There are two long chapters. I'm just focusing on a few verses to make my point. The context is the great apostle Paul was falsely accused by Jews uh, that he was doing certain things which weren't true. And he's in a court situation. Um, back then, they didn't have judges. There was no judiciary like we have here in Ireland today. They, the ruler, the local ruler, would have made the judgment. But beside Paul, there are three others that we meet in this short look at the Bible today. Two of them talk, and one, who's very interesting, is silent first person we meet is a guy called Festus he was the governor of roughly Galilee the north of Israel he was from he was basically Roman he wasn't Jewish he was a no-nonsense kind of guy he just wanted to deal with the issue some people call him a man's man there was no sentimentality there bit of a tough guy what a dreadful name though Festus Festering Festus, I think I'll call him. <laughs> anyway, so he's one guy and he calls the court. But he invited in another ruler from the province just below them. Remember, this is the Roman Empire. The emperor in Rome is the boss. But you've got all these underlings who rule a local area for him. And the guy who rules the area around Jerusalem was known as King Agrippa. He was the governor there, and he was what was known as a client king. In Cork, we would call him a Machia king. He wasn't really a king. Machia in Irish or in Irish English just means kind of pretend. He wasn't a real king. He had to do what the emperor said. But he was the governor he was invited in because he had responsibility over the temple in jerusalem and he had some jewish blood in him he kind of understood it he would have appointed the high priest in jerusalem and then the silent person was someone called bernice everybody when they read this thinks that was his wife it wasn't it was his sister what was she doing there We'll look at that a little later on. So these are the four personalities we meet. Let's see God's word. We're told Agrippa and Bernice arrived with great pomp, making an entrance into the hall, filled with high-ranking officers and all the leading men of the city. At the command of Governor Festus, Paul the prisoner was brought in. After Festus finished speaking, King Agrippa gave Paul permission to speak. And for about a chapter, you can read Paul telling how he became a Christian, his faith testimony, and he preaches the gospel. But we go on. He's speaking, and Paul is in full flow when Festus interrupted, saying, Paul, you're out of your mind. Your learning is making you insane. I am not insane most excellent Festus Paul replied what I am saying is reasonable and it's true the king here Agrippa is familiar with these things King Agrippa do you believe in the prophets I know that you do then Agrippa said to Paul soon you'll persuade me to become a Christian too. Whether sooner or later, Paul replied, I pray that everyone here becomes a Christian. You know what, today I pray that everyone here becomes a Christian, would anyone say amen to that? Hallelujah. Then King Agrippa, Bernice, and Festus the governor got up and they left the hall to discuss Paul's situation with one another. And they all agreed, saying, this man has done nothing wrong, but because he has appealed his case to Caesar, that was the emperor, to Rome, he must go. And so this is the end of this court case, but there's so much here. Let's take a brief look. We're told that Bernice and Agrippa, they arrived with great pomp, making an entrance. You see, two things are going on here. If you go to a court here in Cork, you will be told before the judge enters that everyone must rise. Now, in England, they call him your honor, and in America, they call judge something else. But in Ireland, we just call him judge. Did you know that? You just call him judge. You don't say your honor. It's just all plain. Yet, the judge will come in with a robe on him, and everyone has to stand up. What's that? It's to show respect for someone with authority. And then if you go to a higher court, like the High Court or the Supreme Court, you'll see a lot of them will wear wigs from you know hundreds of years ago. Again, it's pomp and it's ceremony to try and impress on people, this is important and this is not an ordinary situation. But another thing that is going on is that back then, a lot of the royal families used this to intimidate people and they were making a declaration by saying, we are higher than you. Our family is more important than your family they made an entrance because they felt they were more important than the ordinary people and you know what God says nobody is more important than another person amen Amen. we are equal before God would you say amen? amen men and women black and white and brown young and old Irish, and English, and German, and African, and Asian, and American, we are equal before God. And while we show respect, if you really look into the Bible, it actually talks about a thing called the priesthood of all believers. Everyone who loves God is seen as equal. Anyway, They used their entrance to do a bit of intimidation. And maybe some people were intimidated by them. Never let anyone intimidate you. You are a son or a daughter of the King of Kings. You are as important as anyone with an official title. Amen? Amen. Don't be intimidated. You show respect, but you're not less. Anyway, that's how they enter. And Paul starts giving a brilliant explanation of his conversion. But then Festus, as we had just read, interrupted in verse 24. At this point, he interrupted Paul saying, You've gone crazy, Paul. All your learning is driving you insane. In the culture we live in here, some people will try and tell you, If you believe in God, you must be insane. In my experience, the same people will then say, you can do anything to your body and you can pretend you were one thing and now you can pretend you're another thing. And really, the emperor has no clothes to quote the old childhood saying, and yet we have to pretend that someone is what they're not. And that's not mad, you see, in this culture. But the gospel of Jesus Christ, that is reasonable and true. It's powerful. It's not crazy. Hallelujah. God's word is powerful. But this guy... He had never heard about Christianity. He thought this was weird. He interrupts. But I love the legend that is Paul the Apostle. Look at how he handles it. I am not insane, most excellent Felix. What I am saying is reasonable and true. This is how we should handle life. The first thing he does is he corrects the lie. He basically says, no, that's not true. Now, Paul didn't lose it. Paul wasn't shouting and screaming. Paul was calm. Paul was in control. And Paul simply says, I am not insane. Now, usually if someone is out of their head, they are screaming and raging. But Paul is quite calm. I'm not insane. And look what he does. He gives the respect due to Festus. He goes, most excellent Festus. You know, if someone attacks you at work, tries to take your good name, or at school, or a neighbor, or in the family, and they call you names, or they try and say you're this, that, and the other, don't go down to their level. Would anyone say amen? Amen. You keep your calm, you show respect, but you counter their argument. And you know what? They just show themselves up for who they are. If they are shouting and screaming and calling names and Festus here was shown respect by Paul but his argument was totally taken from him it was like the rug was pulled from under his feet what I am saying is reasonable and true and the truth of God's Word has been true for thousands of years and it will be true forever and ever amen because the truth is the truth and fashion and trends come and go, but the Word of God lasts forever. Hallelujah. (laughs) Hallelujah. And then Paul goes even better. He turns from one big tough man, Festus, and he looks to the next powerful man in the room, Agrippa, and he asks him the question, King Agrippa, do you believe in the prophets? I know you do. I mean, the courage of the guy. King Agrippa could have had him murdered straight away. I mean, I've been thinking about this a lot. What would I do in that situation? Would I have the courage to call Agrippa out? Now he did it very respectfully. I honestly don't know that I would have the courage, but I'm gonna pray that God would give me the courage. And he said, do you believe in the prophet? So Agrippa would have had a bit of a Jewish mixed kind of a background. And because he was ruling over Jerusalem, Paul would have heard when he was a Jew, that this guy Agrippa had some knowledge and had some belief in the prophet so he is using what he knows spiritually from the guy's background to connect with him and most people that you and I will connect with in our families, in work, our neighbours, they are on a journey. It's just, we often don't recognize it. And we think, oh my goodness me, I can't even start telling them about God because it's just too far away from them. You never know what they've been through. Again and again, and I have seen probably thousands ask Jesus into their life over the last 40 years, thousands. And every one of them, I can think of so many, I see their faces now, some of you are even here. And I would have said, they'll never become a Christian. I remember one guy, I said, well, Jenny, he'd never become a Christian. Tough guy, I thought he'd hit me. And do you know what? He had been through so much, he was just ready to hear the good news. And he became a Christian that day. I'll never forget it. I've seen this again and again. Don't ever underestimate the journey the person you are dealing with has gone through. So often, God is preparing their heart and you, or me or the person God is causing to cross their path and so Paul says do you believe what courage what a legend I know you do you see Agrippa I've heard this and he uses the little bit of knowledge he has and he does it under the anointing of the Holy Spirit and look what Agrippa says then Agrippa said to Paul, <laughs> I think the guy, apparently, if you look at the history, was kind of spooked because he was on the edge of his chair listening to Paul." Soon you'll persuade me to become a Christian. And you might go, sure, great, like we want everyone to become a Christian. Here's what this has got to do with family. Because we need to look at the silent family represented in this. Agrippa, to give him his full name, was Herod Agrippa. He came from a family known as the Herodian family. And the line died with him. He was the last of his kind. But look at his father. Acts 12.2, look it up. His father murdered James the Apostle. Look at his grandfather. He's the man who beheaded John the Baptist. Matthew 14.10, remember he was allured by his girlfriend's daughter, who Salome, who did the sexy dance and he was obsessed with her. And he said, I'll give you half my kingdom. And her mother said, give me John the Baptist's head on a silver clatter. And that's what he did. That was this guy's grandfather. And look at his great grandfather. The guy called simply King Herod, who tried to murder the infant Jesus. And they fled to Egypt. And then he murdered a whole load of baby boys up to the age of two in the Jerusalem and Judea area because he was threatened for his kingdom. Now you thought your family were messed up, huh? Imagine if this is your father, your grandfather, and your great-grandfather. Imagine that. What a a messed up family. Came in with pomp and ceremony, and that's your family? Buddy, you have no right to have any ceremony with a family like that. Your family were so anti-Christ. And yet, he's almost becoming a Christian. What's more, is he was sitting next to... Bernice, his sister, and here's where it really gets twisted, because every historian, including a guy called Josephus, who is the most trusted historian historian among the Jews, every one of them, and these guys' lifestyle, confirm it, tell us that they had an incestuous relationship. Agrippa never married, never had children, him and his sister had a thing going on. So you think your family might have issues, this family had major issues. And they thought they were more important than anyone else. And Bernice says nothing. But when they went out afterwards, she knew Paul was innocent. Why am I saying this? I'm saying this today. Because I know this man didn't become a Christian, but he was so close. And I want you to think of people in your family who maybe don't believe You think it looks impossible, but the God of the Bible and the God I've known is the God of the impossible. He is the God who will do way beyond what you and I could ever ask or imagine or think. Would anyone say amen? He is a powerful God. You know, I read a book years ago called Your God is Too Small. And it was so challenging that in today's world, we're so materialistic and we're so practical that we forget the miracle working God. Because we have a health service that usually works, we forget to ask for healing. But the God of the Bible heals. Hallelujah. But we tend to forget it. And you know, there's a beautiful verse in the Bible that says, and it's mirrored throughout, The gospel is the power of God unto salvation. There is a power in the gospel of Jesus Christ that so many of us have forgotten about or we forget to bring it into our conversations. When you tell someone about Jesus in your family or elsewhere, you know what's going on? There is a spiritual power going on and you have no idea what they've been through. And you could be the very one God has raised up for such a time as this. This guy had his sister next to him and he knew if he crossed the line and became a Christian, he'd have to give that relationship up. Do you know someone in a life situation? Well, this fella nearly made it. And that was one of the most twisted relationships. All of his ancestors were screaming against him in his family tree from believing and yet he almost believed not just families whatever issue we take there is a power in the name of Jesus he really is a way maker a promise keeper a miracle worker hallelujah and you and I have a choice and I love what A guy called Smith Wigglesworth says he was a great Christian pastor about 100 years ago in England. And he said, I can get more out of God by believing him for one minute than by shouting at him all night. Do you want to shout at God about the issues in your life? Or how about you and I believe him for one minute and see him do miracles? I have seen so many people healed. I have seen, as I said, little children born and everyone said, no, how about your life? How about we pray, God, would you give me faith? Would you give me a little bit more faith to believe for my family, to move beyond the role I still play from childhood? Would you give me the faith to believe, to see that situation changed?